Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This is the broadcast for November the 21st in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is our one of two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so using the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America, to use the checks and balances our founding fathers bled and died for, to stand for the sacred cause of liberty, to do so in the traditions of our founding fathers, to reject revolution, to stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to the broadcast. On Saturday, we were talking to Chris Carlson, and we talked about Donald Obama, eight lies and counting. We specifically highlighted in many, many ways Donald and Obama are as similar as you can get. I know that sounds surprising to many of you, but a lot of their doctrines, a lot of their divisions, a lot of that were very similar indeed. We talked, uh, uh, anyway, go check it out if you want, libertyroundtable.com. LovingLiberty.net. Second hour, we talked about Donald Trump's Rothschild connection and his teaming up with George Soros on many occasions. We talked about who is Wilbur Ross, how he assisted President Trump. Wilbur Ross served as Secretary of Commerce during the Trump administration. And I don't know if you know, but he's known as the King of Bankruptcy. Yeah, we talked about restoration versus secession we talked about the lds church decision to back the quote i call it the disrespect for marriage act same-sex marriages are an abomination in his sight ladies and gentlemen let's be very clear 501c3 status in question and we talked about the constitutional problem with the proposed bill what is the most important issue for you as an american over the last or the next two years is the final question we ended on. With that, Dr. Bradley, welcome back to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Well, we're back again, and, uh, I mean, there's so many things to talk about, and uh, it sounds like you stirred the pot last time with enough interesting things. Uh, This week we've got a a week of Thanksgiving. It should be always a week of Thanksgiving, in my opinion. We should always have have a uh, thankful heart, I think. You know, it's uh, without getting too much depth, I, I think about when you do things for people and, and they never recognize or express a, a, a shred of or a, a whisper or anything like that of gratitude, how it kind of hurts your heart a little bit. I mean, you know, the, an act of love that is, is taken for granted without, and, and it happens all the time, parents to children or, you know, that's a great example, I think. But but um, I I guess... There's, it's analogous, I think, to us never recognizing God's hand and expressing gratitude. I mean, I know God is great, God is good, and all that kind. Of, I mean, He's beyond, you know, anything we can imagine, and yet and still, it seems so appropriate that with all the goodness and blessings that are poured out upon us, all His creations, everything manifests His love. Everything is a, I mean, from the the creations throughout the universe to the most infinitely small creation upon the earth. Everything's fitly formed together for his purposes, which are to lift and bless and, uh, uh, you know, warmth, shelter, love, 
um, wisdom, light, knowledge, truth. Um, every breath we take, every morsel, everything is, is kind of self-rejuvenating in his plan. This earth is a constant renewal. And I mean, I just, you cannot really, if you're a thinking person, find an instance of things that, that aren't a reflection of his magnificent gifts. And, and I think it's, I, I think it's kind of sad. We don't look at, you know, this more than maybe not even once a year. We, you know, it's a big feast and we glut, gluttonize ourselves and watch a ball game or something. But uh, turning our hearts to God seems like an appropriate thing to do. And, you know, it's it's a week we can talk about it without people saying, well, what are they bringing this up for? But I, I really do think it's got to be something that we hold in our hearts constantly and uh, express with all of our actions. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you're just thumbing your nose at God all the time and then, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, he's there, isn't he? Oh, thank you much. Okay, let's go on with the next thing. I, I think it's, it's, well, it makes me sad when things like that happen when we've gone out of our way to offer a gift of love and it's taken for granted or not even recognized. And it seems like maybe we could learn from that in our expressions to God. Anyway, I I digressed. I know this is a, we've got a whole week to do that and, uh, and then a whole year and then a whole life. But um, it just strikes me somewhat strange that um, so rarely is, is Thanksgiving offered uh, as it should be appropriate. I mean, if we offered all the thanks that we could offer up with uh, all our souls, every single breath and and uh, thought somewhere in there would be a, wow, this is pretty good. Uh, oh, just just as a more mortal thought, uh, um, there was a Mel Gibson movie about the Audrang Valley. Uh, we were young and soldiers. You might remember it. Um, you had this sergeant that had been through it all, and the young guys would say to him, good morning, and he'd say, it's not a good morning, you know. <laughs> well, the day, the morning, when the sun came up after the battle, he said, this is the good morning, because you get to see the sun again, okay. Every sunrise should be a good morning to us. Every sundown should be a good evening. I mean, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I made it through, you know, kind of thing. Uh, go see the movie. It's it's pretty accurate depiction of uh, some things that we rarely think about. And, and if we have a good morning, did we recognize that as such? Instead, ah, oh, man, it's cold outside or it's too hot or, you know, <laughs> we, we got some work to do today. Hey, the fact you can work is a blessing. Anyway, I, 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 I got wound up about that and hadn't intended to say that, but, but really it's... I think it's worth considering as we look at our lives. Uh, all we have and all we can become is a gift from God. And uh, too rarely is that recognized in our society today. Well, and it's vitally important to remember to be grateful. Oftentimes it's so easy in our society, especially if you're involved in politics and, and you know, like we are. Now, I personally don't believe there is a, such a thing as politics. I think that's just the way they divide and conquer us. I think all things are moral issues, personally. Uh, that's just an opinion to which I'm entitled. But I, I don't really believe there are political issues. There's moral issues. Uh, and morally, there's a right and a wrong, and there's a hierarchy of morals. Uh, and when there's conflict, you use the hierarchy of morals to um, you know, understand uh, the best positions to take. 
Uh, and it, it's based on truth and error. It's based on principle. It's based on these fundamentals that, that um, in my opinion, supersede political wranglings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I digress except to say that I, I, I believe we need to really be grateful for who we are as sons and daughters of God Almighty, who we are as Americans. You know, we've lost a lot of liberty due to our ignorance and our apathy and everything else. I get that. But I also understand that, you know, we still have the greatest country on the face of the earth. We still have in our system, in the supreme law of the land and the uh, Constitution, the Constitution of your general government and your state, you still have more liberties and more ability to bring that liberty back than through any other government on the face of the earth. Uh, we still look to God, not government, for solutions uh, in general. We still have checks and balances that we can insist on. Uh, the seeds of solution are there right in front of us. A lot of people say, well, other countries are freer than America, Sam. Maybe true in given examples, but not true on the whole. They don't have the seeds of solution to restore liberty as we do. And so we need to be grateful for who we are, Americans, our godly heritage, sons and daughters of Almighty God. Uh, and we need to uh, not take our liberty for granted. We need to be uh, humble and grateful. And then we need to do all within our power to preserve and maintain that liberty. And that happens through uh, moral and religious supports. That happens through obedience to the checks and balances that made America great vertically, vertically and horizontally. And that's why I'm so against this um, marriage act that they talk about. Okay, I believe to go for it on the altar of we're going to preserve religious liberty into that, I believe it's a red herring. It's a lie. The truth is, you know what? You decide that you're going to give up your security. I'm sorry, you're going to give up your liberty for security. You're going to wind up with neither. Okay? The same thing is true here. If you on the altar of religious liberty uh, promote a perversion of God's marriage law uh, and promote a perversion of marriage in general, uh, and a perversion of male and female, because where does this end? Remember the don't ask, don't tell policy. The Republicans were abhorred. They said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the Democrats are saying don't ask, don't tell. 20 years later, they were begging for don't ask, don't tell. Just the same line in the sand that 20 years ago they were 100% against. You see, this slippery slope is the problem. You make a deal with the devil, and it just goes south every time. So if you want to use the checks and balances of the Constitution, there's no authority at the general level at all for the government to be involved in marriage or abortion for that matter but it's fascinating at the very same time they jettison their authority over abortion and say 50 years later after 60 million babies are murdered oh golly we were wrong on that one leave that to the states the general government has no authority here well then why then turn right around and pretend the general government has authority in marriage show me where in the supreme law of the land the federal government has any or the general government has any authority over marriage whatsoever if you really want to know how governments got involved in marriage in the first place back in the day, government played racist. And government said, we don't want black people marrying white people. Therefore, we're going to get in and stop that with government involved in marriage. That's how it all started. And it's simply gone downhill from there. We'll come back and talk about that with Dr. Scott Bradley. Then I want to jump into the, uh, the doctrine of the lesser magistrate a little bit, shall we? And then we'll talk about asset for forfeiture if we have time. You've got Dr. Scott Bradley and yours truly on your radio.
Small Business Tech Guys is a team of experts ready to assist you with any service relating to growing your business. Our team specializes in information and technology, social media, general consulting, and HR. We thrive on assisting startup entrepreneurs with growing their businesses. If it's small business, it's our cup of tea. To schedule your free discovery call today, consider sbtechguys.com. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. sbtechguys.com. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. Live and on your radio, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Scott Bradley, Sam Bushman. So let's finish on this uh, Marriage Act thing. There's no constitutional authority for the general government to be involved in marriage at all. In the beginning of government getting involved in marriage, the government was a racist body. They held the lowest position in the moral hierarchy as you could get as they introduced government involved in marriage in the first place, doctor. You used to just basically write it down in your Bible that you were married. And before witnesses in God, did you make your covenant to one another? A contract, if you will. Now, the government's perverted that from the very get-go, and they've done nothing but meddled and perverted it ever since. Well, there's another movie, and I know that movies are still just movies, but oftentimes they make a point. Uh, Braveheart, another Mel Gibson. Can you imagine? I hadn't even thought it was Mel Gibson until it just crossed my lips. Uh, a great movie. Um, not historically accurate and all this, but we we don't need to discuss. But they pre prima nocta. Uh, how the royalty had the first night with the bride, okay? And that was why uh, uh, William Wallace in the movie uh, marries his wife in secret because royalty would would uh, say, I know I get the first night with her. And, uh, you know, because of royalty and its supposed authority uh, would take the bride and then return her later. And uh, Wallace wasn't willing to share. Okay, This stuff about government being able to interject itself into any stinking thing that it thinks it can is abominable, absolutely abominable. And, and I, I am saddened by the fact 
that we have given ground uh, so much in our world today that, uh, I mean, we breed this into the children. If it's not bred into them from the moment of conception, uh, we, we start teaching them in a, in a pre-kindergarten era with uh, settings and situations and humanist philosophies that, that breed into them this higher order of things the way the mortals should look at it. And, and we have abandoned this godly uh, basis of everything we have. And, and maybe we can bridge this into our next topic, but, but I, I look at government, for example, uh, and Jefferson and Madison in, in their uh, exposés and d d attempts to, to bring forth the idea of, of nullification, they talked about government as a creature. You say, oh, a creature from the Black Lagoon. No, yeah, okay, yeah, that too. But but the fact of the matter is, or it is Or from Jekyll created. Island, Doctor. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. It's it's created. It's created for a purpose. And uh, the creator, of course, ultimately and finally, is God. But in the governments that we have upon the earth, the creator is the people of the states in this federal government, general government, uh, national government, however people denominate it. I call it general government. But, but the general government was a creature created by the states and the people. Now, the states, you could look at it too in their, uh, the way they do things. Where did they, how did how, they come into existence? They were created. Not by God directly, but by people for the purposes of preserving the liberty of the people. And when we as a people begin falsely, I do not believe that this is a, uh, a that the doctrine of of government being in any way superior to anything. Government can only do what those that created it allow it to do, and had in the authority their authority to do anyway. They can only delegate that which they already have, and so as a creature. The, the general government, hey, the executive branch, the judicial branch, the legislative branch, it's a creature. And the job description it's that was written separated for that creature. creatures as well, though. It's yeah, three creatures, there's really. divisions of power. There's, there's delegation of authority. There's uh, limited, limited and bounded. Every single aspect of this, if you understand that basis, you can stay free. But what we have done is we've bred into the people. The idea that, oh, the federal government is the superior government. The heck you say, oh, notwithstanding Article 6, what that says is in the areas that has been delegated, it is superior. The immigration and naturalization, the coining of money, for example, it, it is delegated there. And, and the states have said, we will hand that to you. But you did not hand off. They did not hand off the ability or right or responsibility to say you can kill babies or you can say who can be married or who can't be married. Or that you can print money. Anything. <laughs> oh, by the way, in August of 1787 in the Constitution Convention, they discussed this printing of money. They called them writs. And those writs were discussed as, you know, paper, unbacked by anything. And uh, there was heavy discussion. It was voted down. In fact, they, uh, I think it was Reed out of Delaware. He said, if we allow this, it's as dangerous as the mark of the beast. And spoken of in the Bible, that's what, it, what he said. Anyway, people need to understand there is no authority other than that assigned. And Washington said, if it's found to be in any way wrong, 
we've got the pri privilege and right and responsibility and power to change it, as defined in Article 5. See, they wrote into it the right of the people to alter or abolish their government. But it's only to be changed if it's wrong. And I, I, every time somebody says, we've got to rewrite the Constitution or change it or whatever, say, tell me what's wrong with it. Let's see why you think it's wrong. In no case ever has anybody been able to say, well, it's wrong because and been right. I mean, you say, oh, we're in big debt. Oh, tell me when the Constitution it authorizes you to write checks for stuff that you don't have authority to do. That's why we're in debt. I mean, all of these things, can you can look back to the root cause of all of these things. And this marriage thing is one of those. And, and for religions, abominable. The LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, is known by several different names. For them to come out, they are aligning themselves with left-of-center churches. And what they're doing is they're protecting their own behinds. I could have said it a lot stronger than that. Well, I, don't, I don't know that they they're are. They, they think they are, and temporarily they, they think may they be. Are. But eventually, it will be the problem, though. It will, de it will be their demise because religion is a God-given right that individuals have. And churches are started as institutions so individuals can gather together and worship with those of similar like-minded belief. That's what a church is. And you know, you think about most churches, you say, well, I don't agree with them. I'm going to go somewhere else. You do. You have that right. You can go find somebody who wants to worship God the way you do. And that's totally your privilege. But the fact of the matter is religion's existence in an institution is predicated upon that individual God-given right. And if, a, if an institution has determined that in their mind they're going to protect their behinds and they're going to uh, basically say, oh, this applies to everybody but us, ultimately and finally, it will come back and bite them. And I, I, got, I mean, one of the examples I always bring up is the, the, uh, the agreement at Munich with Hitler and Chamberlain. Chamberlain gave away what was not his to give away. And a church that gives away the individual God-given rights ultimately and finally will find that it is not a good solution. Chamberlain came flying back into England with this great announcement. I've won peace in our time. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He emboldened Hitler by saying, hey, look at this. They said, okay, we can take this great swath of power. He gave away Czechoslovakia. And uh, the, the, no, Czechoslovakia was not Chamberlain's right to give away. Well, and you got to think, any where religion. does government get its power? The answer is from the consent of the governed. Where does where do churches right. get their authority and power? From those who attend those churches. If all 17 million members of given church decide they're going to leave, the church has no power now. Well, See? The, uh, the, the, the thing is that they perceive power, but to tell you the truth, Godliness is, is the ultimate source of power for everybody and everything. The very sunshine that, that's shining on all of us right now has its source in the Creator. And, and so I, I find it so frustrating to me that we have, as a people, been so foolish for so long. And, uh, and I say it's bred into us. No, not quite. Not from conception because all of that is godly. But the fact of the matter is that we start training our children up to bow to the beast. And ultimately and finally, the mark of the beast will be, you know, I brought it up about this discussion on Ritz, the paper money. The mark of the beast is is moving forward very quickly. I just, I know, side trip. 
uh, G20 came out with a thing they're going to they're going to require. They're going to go with a a global view of vaccine passports using the World Health Organization as the trusted entity that they Because they know the <clears throat> they can't get it done through the United States because the people and the checks and balances will stop them. So that what they, they want they to do would is pretend they, they want to pretend they have a greater magistrate to carry out their evil. G20 is note, evil. <laughs> on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. It's a proper resistance to tyranny and a repudiation of unlimited obedience to civil government. The book was written by Matthew J. Trilla, and we'll talk about his book in seconds with Dr. Bradley on your radio. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. Some midterm elections continue to be undecided. In Arizona, we're covering runoffs in District 6 and 8 on March 14, 2023, for city council seats in Phoenix, since no candidate won a majority of the votes in either of those races. In Georgia, the U.S. Senate between incumbent Raphael Warnock and challenger Herschel Walker is scheduled for December 6. In Texas, runoff elections on December 13th for the mayor's office and city council seats in both Austin and Laredo will take place, as well as separate runoffs on December 17th for city council seats in El Paso. A 22-year-old gunman opened fire in an LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs, Colorado over the weekend, killing five and injuring 25. The suspect was subdued by patrons and arrested by police. Colorado Springs Police Chief Adrian Vasquez. Detectives are also looking to identify if there were any other individuals who assisted the suspect. The motive of the crime is part of the investigation, and whether this was a hate crime is part of that investigation. An earthquake shook Indonesia's main island of Java on Monday, killing at least 46 people, damaging dozens of buildings and sending residents into the capital streets for safety. The U.S. Geological Survey said the magnitude 5.6 quake was centered in Sienjur, region of West Java province. The Sienjur Regional Hospital said roughly 700 people needed attention after being hit by collapsing buildings. Climate activists focus on money and nothing else. For the first time, nations of the world activists demand pay for the damage richer countries, they claim, overheated the world, and is inflicting damage on poorer countries. The COP27 U.N. Climate Summit ended Sunday. USA Radio News. Do you have three ex-wives and your current trophy wife wants a life insurance policy three times the size of the policies you had to purchase for your previous mistakes? If so, you need to call Big Lou at Term Provider, 800-568-2790. Big Lou is intimately familiar with your problems. And if you're 50 or 60 years old and in reasonably good health, a $1 million policy should only cost about $100 to $200 per month. Big Lou may have a solution for your previous policies as well. You may even save enough money to lighten the load on your new $1 million policy. Remember, call Big Lou. He's like you, except he's only on number two. 
Call Term Provider at 800-568-2790. That's 800-568-2790. For a million dollars in term life insurance that you can live with, call Big Lou at 800-568-2790. They say the doctrine of the lesser magistrates is a proper resistance to tyranny and a repudiation of unlimited obedience to civil government. Matthew J. Travilla wrote the book, and they say the doctrine of the lesser magistrates is to defy tyrants. They say the lesser magistrate doctrine teaches that when the, quote, superior or higher-ranking civil authority makes, quote, unjust-slash-immoral law, policy, or court-based opinion, the lower or lesser-ranking civil authority has both the God-given right and the duty to refuse obedience to that, quote, superior authority, and if necessary, actively Resist the superior authority. Now, that sounds all good and well. Uh, but remember a couple of things I want to discuss about this, because a lot of people have brought this up to me, and they believe it's the way forward. And it is, in general, based on moral code. All right? So let me give you an example. The uh, opinion is that Sheriff Mack was just a lowly local sheriff and that Bill Clinton was the president of the free world. Therefore, the idea is that, hey, President Clinton, um, you know, was the higher civil authority. And so the doctrine that we're talking about here of the lesser magistrate would say, hey, Richard Mack has an obligation to reject Bill Clinton, the higher magistrate, uh, and stand on the moral code on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate says, hey, it's your duty to stand up and stop this. The fundamental idea is right from a moral basis in that. You should always stand up for God's law rather than man's law. And you should always let God be superior to man. That's all true. Where I believe this doctrine runs off the rails and why I wanted to address it, folks, is this. This dishonest perception that Bill Clinton has higher rank or, quote, civil authority than, say, a lowly sheriff. Or that somehow the general government has authority over the states as if they have a moral civil uh you know, higher authority or whatever, that's where this idea falls apart. God Almighty is the ultimate sovereign and the ultimate authority. I don't care if you call it civil or moral or whatever word you use, God holds supreme authority, Dr. Bradley. Okay, we've talked about this, and and it certainly is coming to a head, it seems like, because it keeps coming up in each of our get-togethers. And for the last few get-togethers that you and I have had on the radio, we've we've talked about Blackstone and his recognition that all all law on earth, unless it is in alliance with God's law, is is no law. Okay, but if you might, with me, just just bear with me for for just a. I have, I, I, I'd like to quote just maybe two minutes. Uh, the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, if they have not been reviewed by your audience in recent times, need to be. 
um, and, and just uh, uh, they were written by Jefferson and Madison uh, to outline why limits and bounds are on government, regardless of where people put it in the hierarchy. Just uh, out of the beginning, let's talk this. The several states composing the United States of America are not united on the principle of unlimited submission to the general government, but that a compact under the style and title of a constitution for the United States and of amendments thereto, they constituted a general government for special purposes, delegated to that government certain definite powers, reserving each state to itself the residual mass of right to their own government, and wheresoever the general government assumes undelegated power, its acts are unauthoritative, void, and of no force. So I'm going to skip down a little bit further. And now we relate that to the Marriage Act. We relate that to so many things that we experience it, today, folks. Gun laws, anything. Okay, so going on. Where powers are assumed, which have not been delegated, a nullification of the act is the rightful remedy. That every state has a natural right in cases not within the compact. That's the, the federal remedy, the, the, the federal agreement. The yeah, when we say natural right, I want to replace that with the words God-ordained right, so people clearly okay, well, that's, understand that's the way, that's where That's where Blackstone put it. That's where the founders knew it was. To nullify of their own authority all assumptions of power by others within their limits, that without this right they would be under the domination absolute and unlimited to whosoever might exercise this right of judgment for them. So they're saying if, you, if they don't have this, they're under a tyranny. Going on a couple lines later. They alone, being parties to the compact, that's the contract, the Constitution, and solely authorized to judge in the last resort of the powers exercised under it, Congress not being a party. Congress isn't party of the contract. It's a creature. Going on back. Congress being not a party, but merely the creature of the compact and subject to its now assumptions stop, stop, of power. Stop, 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 stop. I want to highlight that. The Congress is not a party to the contract, rather a creature of the contract. They don't have equal bargaining or discussion authority here. They are a creation of we the people. They, they are can't a creation rewrite. of the states. They can't rewrite the contract. They can't. Okay, they're merely a creature of the compact, going back and subject as to its assumptions of power to the final judgment of those by whom and for whose use itself and its powers were all created and modified. Skipping down a little further, it would be a dangerous delusion were a confidence in the men of our choice, that's our elected officials, to silence our fears for the safety of our rights. That confidence is everywhere the parent of despotism. Free government is founded on jealousy and not in confidence. It is jealousy and not confidence that prescribes limited constitutions to bind down those whom we are obligated to trust with power that our constitution has accordingly fixed the limits to which and no further our confidence may go. In questions of power, then, let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. I'll, I'll end there. You need to read both the Virginia and the Kentucky resolutions and say amen and amen, brother. This nation has limits and bounds. The contract, the Constitution, is a limiting and bounding document that says 
you don't have any power other than what's in your job description, kids. Congress, the president, the courts cannot overstep that and remain within their oath of office. And that's what we do not seem to understand as a people. Now, okay, let's go back to your uh, idea of this, you know, rebelling against the superior power. God is the superior power. No, we can't do that. God is the the supreme power. He is. You cannot say, oh, no, we're going to override that. I don't care if it's by rewriting a law that talks about you can change your gender if you want on your birth certificate. You know, it's XY or it's XX. I mean, it's biology. It's it's fixed. It's scientific. Follow the science, kids, that they keep talking to us about. The idea that the general government can say, oh, yeah, marriage is this or that or the other. Oh, it's okay to kill babies. You can pick almost any subject that they're ruling on now, almost any subject, and they're outside of bounds. They can't redistribute wealth. It's so let me not make this clear. The doctrine of lesser magistrates suggests that, hey, Bill Clinton has more authority than, say, Sheriff Richard Mack did at the time. Uh, the whole point problem with that idea is it's a false belief. It's a false doctrine. It's a false narrative from the get-go. Okay, When we talk about, uh, when you consider when somebody has superior or higher-ranking civil authority, see, that is where the lie is told. We are led to believe in modern times in America that somehow anybody at the general government level has more authority than anybody at the state level. Anybody at the state level has more authority than the county level. Anybody at the county level has more authority than we do individually. See, that's the lie. Government derives its just powers from the consent of the governed. The only powers they have are what we gave them by contract delegated to them. That makes us, we the people... Above all those, quote, perceived jurisdictions, above all those perceived uh, civil authorities, and we then answer to God. God is the highest supreme authority. I don't care whether you use the word civil or whatever word you use. And anybody who aligns themselves with God's law holds the moral high ground. Anybody, for any reason, higher or lower in ranking and perceived worldly authority, is irrelevant. The more you align yourself with God, the higher and more sovereign your authority, your rights, your integrity, your delivery is. Now, I know the premise of the book is saying, hey, stop bad guys with good moral people who have, quote, less rank in our society. I get the point of the book. I also get, though, that I think it misses, if you're not very careful, the very fundamental principle that God, let's let's skip the break, guys, that God Almighty is the ultimate sovereign and authority and you know what those who align themselves with god always no matter where they fit in quote worldly rankings or perceived or indoctrinated worldly rankings uh, it becomes irrelevant those who align themselves with god every time hold the moral high ground doctor so i I disagree with this I, i i agree with in general with the idea that we should stand up even if we have perceived less authority i get the point of the book I also get that we're missing the quintessential point, which is we need to align ourselves with God, the ultimate authority, and where we sit in, quote, worldly ranking is irrelevant. We need to stand up for what's right every time, everywhere, all the time. And when we align ourselves with God, we're on the right side, regardless of churches, opinions, government, uh, whatever's, positions, all that out the window. When we turn to God and align ourselves with God, we hold the ultimate moral high ground based on his supremacy. Dr. Bradley. 
Well, <clears throat> see here what we've done in America, well over the world, the entire world. A tyranny has descended upon us because we've created a civil religion. That civil religion looks to government as our God in many ways, and it's a humanist religion. It's a godless religion. It doesn't have a divine God anyway, wherein we say, oh, yeah, we go on bended knee before a government official and, and request a, a three-day camping pass or a, a, some authority to be able to, you know, get some largesse from the government. So we have turned our hearts from the true and living God. Now, understand also, though, that. Um, see, the, the Supreme Court recognized in Richard's case before the Supreme Court that that other entity, the general government, did not have the authority to direct the sheriff or any other entity to do something that was not within its purview. So it all comes down to delegated authority. We, the people, delegated a certain amount to, and, and, and we can get into real trouble over this, because we, the people, have, by the consent of the governed, delegated certain responsibilities to different levels of government, if you will, different entities within government. But those entities are limited and bounded within that delegated authority. There are those within society today that will run a buck and say, oh, no, <laughs> nobody's going to have over any authority over me. I am going to do blah, 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 whatever it is, X, Y, Z. Well, that delegation of authority has already been made. We are bound and limited. They're bound and limited, and we are bound and limited. We can't just auto, you know, automatically say, oh, me, Sam Bushman, or whoever, no longer I'm going to be bound by uh, creating money, let's just say. Uh, you, you don't have, Sam, the authority to say, I'm, I'm not going to be bound by this constitutional authority that we delegated to the general government to create money. Out of coin money is a more appropriate term, and it, coining has to do with stamping precious metals. Go look it up under Noah Webster's dictionary. So you can't arbitrarily say, "I'm outside of the bounds of this anymore." I withdraw my, you know, this was done as an act of the people, and we are bounded by that. Laws created constitutionally have authority, and so we have a problem sometimes when people decide they're going to go do some act of something that disrupts what the ag agreed uh, process was. But the, the uh, much more, it seems like, on today's time. So a little bit of that discussion, hold on, a little bit of that discussion relates to you have individual God-ordained rights that we gave to government, but once we entered into the contract, we have um, authority delegated that we can't just individually opt out of, right? See, Otherwise, we create an, an anarchy, right? That's right, and that'll end up in a tyranny too. Government is a necessary evil for justice, and those you know the, we've talked about the the welfare clause, how it is predictable and stable government. It is good government, no domestic violence, the idea of foreign invasion, the idea of a stable economy that is not messed up with. See, the general government today is messing with all of those things. We would never had nine eleven, had we not dinked around overseas with irritation and all that kind of stuff and allowed tyrants to respond, whether they're within our government or outside our government. The fact of the matter is that that we have the idea with a predictable, stable government that has limits and bounds, people can make decisions. You can get married, you can have a family, you can start a business or a farm, whatever, knowing that these external forces 
are held at bay because government is doing its job. Government's no longer doing its job. That's the problem. We, the people, need to recognize those limits and bounds. And so does those that are in office. When they take an oath of office, you know, the sixth article of the United States Constitution, they take that oath. Anybody that holds office does. And uh, that's the problem, is that churches and people are all assuming, oh, that general government, they can do whatever they darn well please. No, they can't. And, and in and fact, that's, the, that's the, where the, the lesser magistrate <coughs> doctrine is. That I, I agree with the principle or the idea about the moral high ground that you have a duty to do what is right. I agree with the, the idea. Where I'm disagreeing with it, though, is this idea of a lesser magistrate suggests that, you know, whatever power uh, in, in society is the highest power rules or that everybody else is lesser. See, I don't believe the county sheriff is lesser than the president of the United States at all. I think they've been given different delegated responsibilities, one uh, relating to the state constitution, or the other relating to the general constitution. But they have different spheres of influence, authority, and service. They're not pitted once again, one against another. That's why oftentimes they run around and say, oh, the, the CSPOA and others teach the sheriff. He's like a god. He's more powerful than the president. We say no such thing. That's an absolute lie. Okay, I don't believe that it's a matter of one has more authority or power than the other. They have different jurisdictions delegated to them, doctor, with different enumerated responsibilities via the contract, via the contract. So uh, I don't know why we pit one against the other and we talk about a greater or a lesser magistrate or because I, I don't believe that they're I don't believe that they're. Uh, in competition with one another to see who has more power. That isn't the point, right? Well, it's Mac did the right thing when he took this up, and the court did the right thing by saying, no, <laughs> Mac's right, that you can't direct the sheriff. The general government cannot direct the sheriff to do this or that or the other. Let's just touch very briefly. I know we're running out of time, Sam. I mean, and I talk fast, and, and, and I know people sometimes maybe get frustrated with my jabbering, but maybe they don't. I don't know. At any rate, uh, the 13th chapter of, of uh, Romans is oftentimes so badly mangled. It, oh, the the uh, divine right of kings kind of thing, the, the higher law of government, you know, and we all got to be subject to it. Bravo, Sierra. I mean, my heavens, people. That 13th chapter of, of Romans is misinterpreted to the nth degree, and kings have used that for centuries, as have other governments, that somehow, some way, we've got to bend our knee to them. No. The divinity of the origins of things is who should bend the knee. And King James I, in the early part of the 1600s, was a tyrant. And the King James Version was, was set forth, if you will, by a tyrant. And they were looking to please the tyrant, those that put the Bible together oftentimes, in, oh, man, you know, the king can say, I have a right to be here based upon, based upon who my progenitors slept with. It is absolutely absurd. And Americans rejected that, by the way. We rejected that divine right of kings where some bloodline has authority. And if you're elected to office, we reject that, too, if we understand the limits and bounds of government. And so these people that are trying to use Scripture to get you to kowtow to some authoritarian thing, again, recognizing government is a necessary evil. It is good as far as it goes and as far as it is limited and bounded. 
It is absolutely horrific. And by the way, the, there is competition in it. The 47th Federalist Paper, Madison writes about the fact that everybody has a responsibility to push back because it is the nature and disposition of almost all men, as soon as they get a little authority, to begin to exercise that tyranny that's there, that, that's in the hearts of almost all men. Daniel Defoe said all men would be tyrants if they could back in 1701. And, and of course, Lord Acton said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's, that's what government constitutions were established to be, was a limit and bound. They were, they were saying this much and no farther. And, and so they, they're a protection to us. And you look at the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions, people say, oh, my God, my goodness, those are, they're, they're, they're going to end up in anarchy. No, they're not. It's a, nullification is an act of love. It they're prevents gonna act, people. They're going to end up in anarchy if we let the tyrants continue because eventually the people will revolt. There are more peaceful ways. Now, in this book's introduction uh, about the lesser of magistrates, he describes the three boxes that the Founding Fathers established in order to preserve liberty and resist tyranny. First, the ballot box to remove unjust rulers through the, quote, vote. Second, the jury box, not only judge the facts of a case, but also to judge the law itself and determine whether it's being misapplied or is unjust or immoral. And then the cartridge box, the third one, to allow an armed citizenry not only to resist a foreign invader or power, but also to act against tyranny from our own government. Now, he then explains that those are not the only tools that our founding fathers gave us. We have a lot more tools. Uh, and so then it goes into this uh, doctrine of the lesser magistrate. We need to get close to the Lord, as you have often said on this radio program, Dr. Bradley, and stay there. When we align ourselves with God, we're set up for success. When we don't, we're set up for trouble and tyranny no matter what we do. And this idea of the doctrine of the lesser magistrates based on moral principle, I agree you got to stand up for what's right and align yourself with God, no question. But I reject the whole indoctrination of lesser and greater magistrate based on uh, government-assumed authority uh, and indoctrination of the people. Again, this idea that, oh, my gosh, the, the government's always more powerful than the state. This whole lie has got to be rejected. And so we need to understand the principles and apply them. When we're uh, in, aligned with God, we're in good shape. When we're not, we're in trouble. It's that simple everywhere, regardless of man-made constructs, doctor. Let's just state, make a statement. I, I like to quote Madison. He's so eloquent. In 51st Federalist Paper. He said, the great security against a gradual concentration of the several powers in the same department consists in giving to those who administer each department the necessary constitutional means and personal motives to resist encroachments of the others. The provision for defense must in this, as in all cases, be made commensurate with the danger of attack. Ambition must be made to counteract ambition. The interest of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. So... Whether you're in a constitutional position in the general government as, as a legislator or executive or as the judicial, you've got to push back to encroachments by the others. If you're in the state legislature, if you're a governor, whomever, you push back on the general government if it's a problem. Mac happened to be a guy 
that sat in a le- in a uh, in a position of being a lawman. He was a constitutional sheriff, and he said, "No, the general government in this the, okay, it, you could say this is a narrowly defined case where they tried to get the sheriffs to go do the uh, dirty work that they wanted done to be able to say whether or not somebody could get a, the right to carry their own firearms." And and Max says, "No, we're not going to do that." And so the, they took it to the Supreme Court ultimately and finally against Bill Clinton. And and the Supreme Court agreed, no, the general government can't direct the local government to do something on their behalf. That is not a constitutionally delegated authority. So Mac pushed back. And that's what's got to happen. Churches need to push back and say, the heck you say. No. And I know the churches say, well, we reserve our right to marry the people we want to have married in the circumstances and setting we want them married. And we won't be held uh, responsible to recognizing and upholding what everybody else does. Fine. There's the, the, churches already have that independence. They're a church. You know, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. They already have that authority. But when they say, we support this, they're saying, oh, we're giving away another slice of individual rights that are out there. I mean, they do it on private property. You've got to rent to gays and lesbians if they come to you and rent your apartment. No, private property is private. And if a church says, we don't have to rent to gays or lesbians, the church is protecting their own butt. But they're not reserving the individual God-given right. Churches need to well, recognize that And the point is, eventually, exist. if an individual doesn't have that right, eventually the church will lose that right as well. Pretend Absolutely. you can separate the two, but in time you cannot. No question. And so so the, it's a slice at a time. You know, Antonio Gramsci, the, the Italian communist that wrote about slice at a time communism, where you legislate it a little bit at a time, where you can read about it in, in uh, um, Man for All Seasons, where you look at how it's been done, and it is being done to us everywhere today, we need to unite under the proper authority with the limits and bounds that were established by that delegation of authority. Quit thinking. I need to write a book called The Supreme Magistrate, if you will. Oh, I like that. I like that. All right, there you have it. Hour one in the can, ladies and gentlemen. I don't mean to attack the author of the book. He's got some valuable points, but I believe we need to really put it in real context if we're going to understand it. Uh, completely. Never leave God out of the equation as the ultimate sovereign, the ultimate magistrate, the supreme of all that we hold dear. I testify Christ lives, and if we turn to him and repent, he shall heal our land and protect us. For Dr. Bradley and Sam Bushman, God save the republic. Live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bushman on your radio. Hard-hitting news that I refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. 
This is the broadcast for November 21st in the year of our Lord, 2022. This is Hour 2 of 2 and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property to promote God, family, and country on your radio in the traditions of our founding fathers. Welcome to the broadcast of Dr. Scott Bradley. We talked about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, and I think it's a good premise in general. The only hesitancy I have about it is it's based on this perceived idea that somehow the worldly order of things determines who's the higher magistrate. Okay, so, you know, Bill Clinton is a higher magistrate than Richard Mack. Well, that's not really true. Richard Mack won. He was the highest magistrate because his ideas were God-ordained. See, whenever we're aligned with God, we are the highest magistrate, regardless of what the world thinks is the fundamental point, ladies and gentlemen. God is the supreme magistrate. So anytime anyone aligns themselves with God, they are the highest magistrate. Whenever The further you get from God or the supreme magistrate, right, then you're on the, the uh, right side of history, but you're also uh, not the lesser magistrate. That's just what the world thinks. So you got to be very careful with that. The book has some great points made. Um, and I agree that, um, you know what? God is the supreme magistrate. God is the supreme magistrate. we got to understand that. And when we align ourselves with God, we're not the lesser of anything. All right, there you have it. Uh, Lowell Nelson's with me. Uh, campaignforliberty.org. Do you want to make a comment on that before we go on? Well, it reminds me of the uh, proper understanding of government, uh, the proper role of government, right? I mean, God created man, gave him life, and then the second most wonderful gift, which was his agency, meaning he gave, he made man accountable for his own actions, gave him the, the freedom to make his own decisions, but made him accountable for those decisions. And so, you have God uh, came along first, created man, and then man um, got together and decided, okay, we, we're going to, uh, to, to be uh, in a society. We need some rules. And uh, so we will uh, write um, the rules for our society, embody those in a constitution, and then fill public offices with volunteers, people who are willing to, to run the you know enforce the rules of society um and so basically it's a food chain right you have god you have man you have a, a constitution there are many constitutions state constitutions and also the general government's constitution in other words you have the contracts you know the contracts you have the agreements basically the that have the force of law among the, in that society and then finally you have the public servants who volunteer to uh, who, who are elected to execute those agreements, and uh, they are the lowest on the food chain. Um, and so, you know, and God the further stopped. the government gets from the people, the lower on the food chain it becomes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And so, if we if we if we look at the food chain in the proper light, in the proper order, then we realize, <clears throat> and we'll always realize that <clears throat> that God is at the top. Um, then comes uh, man and his uh, rights and and uh, God foreordained um, uh, freedoms, and then uh, the Constitution, and then finally the uh, the government officials, the public servants who who uh, we choose to execute those agreements. Sam. 
All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted to kind of bridge with that. Now, Ron Paul writes an incredible column to help us understand a tale of two midterms. This is really critical to kind of understand the difference of what we were pushing for then uh, and now and the results we get. Well, I should say the uh, elections we get as a result. Lowell? Yes, he he contrasts the midterms of 2010 with the midterms of of just a a couple weeks ago, um, which I thought was very interesting that he would (laughs) make that observation. Um, he observed that the, the, the winds of 2010 were propelled by the Tea Party and the Liberty Movement. Now, he was a key part of that movement. Uh, those of you old enough to remember will know that John Paul, you know, virtually unknown in 2008 when he first ran, but virtually everybody knew him when he ran in 2012. And it was the, it, it was the uh, great... Um, uh, an almost overwhelming number of people supporting Ron Paul who created this movement, this liberty movement of 2008 and 10 and 12. Um, and so the winds in 2010 midterm came because of that liberty movement. Now, the, what was the focus of the liberty movement then? Well, it was on restoring constitutional government in all areas. And it was also ending our interventionist foreign policy. It was changing our monetary policy by auditing and then ending the Federal Reserve System and legalizing alternative currencies. Now, those were very bold goals or objectives of the liberty movement. Um, Thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of times over, chanting, end the Fed, you know, end the Fed over and over. I mean, that's how big this movement was uh, 12 years ago. And, And they won because the, the, the people of, during those elections of the 2010 midterm, they won because they promised they would work to restore limited constitutional, fiscally responsible government in all areas. Okay, that was then. Well, what did the Republican candidates do for the 22 midterm, you know, the ones that held just two weeks ago? Well, in contrast, he writes, in 2022, the average Republican candidate offered little in the way of a, substan- of a substantive agenda. In fact, few Republicans called for reversing President Biden's massive spending increases, much less for restoring the federal government to its constitutional limitations. Despite the controversy over new critical race theory and transgender-related policies in government schools, there has not been a renewed push to shut down the Department of Education, end of quote. In other words, folks, he's, he's making the observation that most of the candidates this year were milk toast, basically. That's what he's saying. I, I, and I think he's correct. Now, there were some notable exceptions. Governor DeSantis in Florida, Kentucky Senator Ron uh, Randfall, and Kentucky uh, uh, Representative um, Thomas Massey were, were some of those exceptions. They won their elections in a landslide, folks, and and, and, and basically, they spit in the face of big spending, mask mandates, COVID passports, and lockdowns. They, they you know, and, and, and the rest of the candidates were pretty much milk toast in comparison to those people who won landslide elections. Now, Ron Paul concludes his column with one hopeful paragraph, Sam, and, and, I, and I'm going to want your comments about this after I quote him. He says, quote, as the failure of our welfare warfare state to deliver peace and property and the failure of the Federal Reserve to fulfill its, to fulfill its mandate 
of ensuring stable prices and low unemployment, as those things become clear, more Americans will join the liberty movement. Support for the liberty movement will accelerate when the inevitable economic meltdown occurs. This meltdown will be precipitated by a collapse in the dollar's value and the rejection of the dollar's world reserve currency status. It will bring the end of the welfare warfare state and the fiat monetary system. Hopefully, the liberty movement will ensure the welfare warfare state and fiat monetary system are replaced by a return to limited constitutional government, individual liberty, and peace. End of quote. Well, Sam, I think he is tacitly saying that we will not see a return to constitutionally limited government until after the demise of the fiat dollar. What do you think, Sam? I sadly think that he's probably right. I pray that enough of us stand up uh, beforehand to create an organizational stability structure. Uh, if we don't, and you're not careful, you're going to have most of the country in anarchy, most of the country in a dog-eat-dog kind of scenario. I hope, uh, and in the Rocky Mountains, for example, we have other organizations outside of government that could create stability. Neighborhood watch programs are kind of a loose-knit idea of them. Uh, in uh, Utah and Idaho and other places, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a structure on the ground of organization as well. Uh, so I, I agree with his general point. I hope enough of us can be wiser and stand up for the cause of liberty and organize ourselves before that, because really the, the safety and stability and very lives of people will be at stake when that happens. It's going to become, you know, people change when they're hungry. Mm-hmm. People change when they're literally freezing cold. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've documented on this radio program many times what happens to people. Good, normal people um, lose their minds. They lose mm-hmm. their moral compass in desperation. And so I understand his point. I don't disagree with it one bit, but I pray and hope that we can organize ourselves into some semblance of of uh, working together in ways that can preserve life and preserve virtue and preserve some of those things that go by the wayside. Uh, that's my concern. That's, you know, the baser elements of reality uh, take over at that point. And I hope we build a structure uh, to guard against those things when it happens. Will it happen, as he wisely points out? Absolutely. There's no way to avoid it. Whenever you have fiat money, it eventually happens. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it's a matter of how prepared we are when it goes down. Lowell? Yeah, I, you're absolutely right, Sam. Now, I believe we have a responsibility as citizens to prepare ourselves and to do all we can to stop the slide uh, toward you know, anarchy, and I think you're right. There's a lot of good organizations around us. Let's be a part of them. Let's be a part of the solution, folks. All right, let's skip the break real quick. we got too much to talk about, too little time, ladies and gentlemen. A tale of two midterms. Ron Paul points to the fact that uh, in 2010 and around that time frame, we were focused on key fundamental, uh, in my opinion, law and order principles. This last time, uh, we were not based on those principles. We virtually made no appropriate promises and delivered on virtually nothing except for the other guys are bad and, and hey, we'll, you know, whatever. Uh, that's why we lost. If we want to come back to winning again, we've got to put winning principles uh, in place. We need to have the liberty movement's focus, as Ron Paul says. We've got to restore constitutional government in all 
areas. We got to get rid of our interventionist foreign policy and replace it with a humble foreign policy. We got to go back to honest money if we want an honest society. It is that clear, that simple. Praise to Ron Paul for his incredible column highlighting this. RonPaulInstitute.org for more. All right, we want to talk about saving Arizona and other states. Um, I guess uh, they've got these proven reforms for fair elections. I don't know. Uh, Mahatma Orwell, I guess, is a pseudonym being used uh, to write this column, right? Boy, I don't know if it's his real name or pseudonym, but he's got the last name Orwell. <laughs> That's a little scary. <laughs> and the first name Mahatma. So you make your own I, I believe it's a pseudonym. Yeah, probably. But here's so. the interesting thing. He's got these 10 proven reforms. But you know what? We can talk about his reforms really quick. But I'm in the middle for the CSPOA. I don't know if you know, Lowell, but I'm now the CEO of the CSPOA. You demand. And I, I am writing a document uh, that is like that. I've got 10 um, ideas as well. Mine are slightly different than his. He's fine with election machines. Uh, I think you'll never get a handle on election fraud if you allow machines. So quickly go over his 10. Then I want to give you my 10 that I'm in the middle of writing. We're about to release a document on this uh, from the CSPOA. Yeah, I share your skepticism for the machines. In fact, if I had my druthers, would have zero computers, zero ballot counting, nothing electronic. Just make it all by hand. But his things, number one, maintain and annually update accurate lists of eligible voters. That, that's now, voter I've got role. that on mine, too. Mine's a little Perfect. more detailed, but agreed. Uh, number two, encourage in-person voting. Yeah, Amen. Amen. Number three, mail an absentee ballot to a voter only if the voter requests it. Amen. Number four, voters should provide secure ID when registering to vote, when reg when requesting an absentee ballot, and when voting. Amen. But I go further uh, in mine. Yeah, good, good. Uh, five, ban ballot harvesting. I agree 100%. Uh, although, I believe if we put certain things in place, we don't need to ban so many things because they'll be by nature gone. We can yeah. discuss that in a minute, but go ahead. Perfect. Number six, have election day instead of election month. Amen. Number seven, all ballots should be received by election day, counted on election day, and publicly reported that night. Agreed. Right. And the other three points I think we can just skip over. I didn't necessarily agree with the other three. Yeah, just highlight them really quick because I think it's important to kind of show where we differ. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, so the voter, not the state, should decide how to vote is what he's saying here. Do not trust mailed ballots. And we sort of covered that already, but that was another of his point. And then uh, ballot, I'm sorry, uh, ballot handling and counting should be bipartisan and open to poll watchers and machines should be repeatedly tested and audited. Yeah. See, and there I think they go off the rails. They don't understand. They will never have an honest election as long as you let a system do it where you cannot have the transparency necessary. So for the CSPOA, I'm working on a document with a few people. I wrote it, and I'm having a few people refine it now, but here's what it says. CSPOA solutions for rebuilding trust in the United States elections. Now listen, the value of political stability is the subtitle. Uh, and then we say this, personal responsibilities for all registered voters. I've got 10 items as well, and they're a lot similar to what he's got, but they're worded differently to encompass uh, a more holistic approach. Cool. Here it is. 
Number one, become an informed, committed, vote-in-person, VIP voter. In other words, know everything on the ballot before Election Day. Okay, you've got to vote in person, and you've got to know what's on the ballot before Election Day. That's number one. Because if you don't do those things, it's disaster. Having voters that go to the polls and vote a straight Republican ticket or who go to the polls and don't know what's on the ballot and they just kind of figure out what they think is best or whatever or look for names they recognize or whatever, their votes are damaging. Their votes are counterproductive. So number one, become an informed, committed, vote-in-person VIP voter. Know everything on the ballot before Election Day. That's number one. Number two, return to precinct by precinct voting with hand-counted ballots on single-day elections. Let me say that again. Return to precinct by precinct voting with hand-counting of ballots on single-day elections. All right, what do you think of those two, Lowell? Well, spot on. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, All right, here's exactly the third one. Need to get back to. Yeah. Here's the third one. Become a precinct leader, certified positions poll worker, or poll watcher. Okay? People have got to do that in mass. Okay? We used to we used to do that, Sam. You know, 20, know. 30 years ago, um, everybody uh, went to the polls, and they would see three of their neighbors there, <laughs> you know? That's and right. Usually little old ladies that, uh, you know, in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who just took upon themselves the civic responsibility of, uh, of uh, administering the election in their neighborhoods. When That's I grew how up, we did it. When I grew up, my mom was one of those older ladies, <laughs> and we used to have voting at our house. Cool. Become a precinct leader. We're talking about certified positions, poll worker or poll watcher. That's number three. We've got to return to precincts, and we've got to return to that because you've got to get rid of these massive groups of people where you don't know anybody. You've got to go in there and say hi to half the people there. Maybe not literally, but that is the point, right? All right, number four, return to paper ballots only eligible and registered voters may request a return and absentee ballot. All right? So you got to return to paper ballots, period. And then you've got to have only those who request a ballot get one for absentee. Number five, require video recorded coverage and archives publicly available of all ballots counted. Let me say that again. Number five, require video recorded coverage and archives publicly available of all votes counted. Number six, require all ballot watchers slash counters slash tabulators certify in writing as to the accuracy of the final count under the penalty of perjury. Okay? Make all those people involved in the ballots, watching whatever you're doing, every one of them have to sign a document under the penalty of perjury that the count is accurate. And if you say, well, Sam, we can't make it perfect, you can write even to the best of my knowledge. 
you know, if you want a little bit of wiggle room. But the point is, you've got if it's good enough for my taxes, it's good enough for my sacred vote, lol. You could even do that for the actual voter, saying like, "This is my vote." Well, hold on, we're getting to that. Oh, okay, uh-huh. good. That's a different topic. This is only to hold the officials accountable at this point. Number seven: require every state in the union to retain and to preserve all ballot records and election papers for 36 months under the penalty of violation. You're going to have to keep that stuff long enough, 36 months, or we can put in whatever number we want there, but it's got to be long enough to be past the next election, and it's got to be long enough to really let anybody who really has a question have time to work through that. I think the current uh, requirement is 23 months. All right. Well, some say it's 22, and I think we need to extend that because it doesn't even go to the next election cycle. So the problem is you lose all the records before the next election cycle happens. I don't know about that. All right. Number eight, do all within your power to remove your state from and or prevent your state from joining the Electronic Registration Information Center, also nicknamed ERIC. You've got to get out of that, folks. Because you will never be able to control your own voter rolls if you don't. That's number eight. Do all within your power to get out of or not join Eric. The electronic record, uh, or I'm sorry, the electronic registration information center. Got to get out of it. Number nine, require every state in the union to update, secure, and multi-party certify all voter rolls and voter registration systems. Okay, in other words, not only do you have to get rid of Eric, you got to have your state be responsible and confirm that the voter rolls are accurate by multi-party. Again, those people would need to sign under the penalty of perjury that the voter rolls are accurate to the best of their ability. Number 10, require all voters to confirm their identity by displaying slash showing proof of state ID certified via signature tied to every legally counted ballot. Those are my 10. I love that. Uh, and if we can refine this further, what I'm trying to do, though, Lowell, a little bit is not make the document too long. Yeah. I want it to be simple enough where we can actually deal with it. And I kind of jokingly said we got to have the 12 steps to vote recovery, you know, like the alcohol anonymous <laughs> thing. You know, we got to have it short. It's got to be clear. It's got to be easy for folks to focus on. Um, but those are my uh, 10 things. Um, and I don't know if I've left anything out important. I don't mind adding things. If you can get to me, Lola, if you have some ideas, you're free to express them here. But I would also like you to email them to me. How can we make this stronger and more holistic but yet not make it too long? That's kind yeah, of the my, balance that we're trying to achieve. Yeah, totally love it. Uh, I know that the John Burr Society in the uh, New American Magazine had, oh, I don't know, 12, 15, 18 bullet points uh, related to election integrity. So if you've already double-checked against that list, you've well, probably got them Well, email me that all. list, and I will double-check against that list. I want mine to okay. be short and holistic, and that's kind of why I've, I've written it the way I do. The big dissension, if you will, between us and these guys that uh, – you know, saving Arizona and other states 10 proven reforms for fair mm-hmm. elections. I, I, my big problem with it is they still accept machines. 
I know. I'm telling you right now, unless you go to paper ballots and hand counting and single day voting, you'll never solve the problems. There's too much wiggle room in it, folks. Let's take a quick pause. We'll come back with our dear brother, Lowell Nelson, campaignforliberty.org. We got a lot to talk about on your radio, don't we? Pursuing Liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. Five people were killed and 25 injured when a gunman opened fire inside an LGBTQ nightclub Saturday in Colorado Springs, Colorado. A man shrouded in body armor, 22-year-old Anderson Lee Aldrich, was taken down by a couple of patrons and probably saved many lives. One witness talked with KMGH7 in Denver, Joshua Thurman. It was so scary. I heard shots, broken glass, bodies. It was... How? Why? Walt Disney's board of directors overnight replaced Chief Executive Bob Chopek with Robert Iger, the company's former chairman and CEO who left the company at the end of last year. Susan Arnold, chairman of Disney's board of directors, said in a statement that Bob Iger is uniquely situated to lead the company through this pivotal period. End quote. This month, the company reported weaker than expected fourth quarter financials. Parts of New York finally caught a break Sunday after a storm lashed out a potential record-setting amount of snow on cities and towns east of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, and includes Buffalo, New York. The National Weather Service recorded 77 inches in Orchard Park. That's the stadium where the NFL Buffalo Bills play. There was also 72 inches in Natural Bridge near Watertown. More than a week after four University of Idaho students were stabbed to death in a house near campus, the police chief leading the investigation said on Sunday that the police had not been able to answer many questions. Captain Roger Lanier with the Moscow, Idaho Police Department. Currently, there are no suspects in custody, and we have not located a weapon. We do have a short work week. Thanksgiving is Thursday. USA Radio News. Do you have three ex-wives and your current trophy wife wants a life insurance policy three times the size of the policies you had to purchase for your previous mistakes? If so, you need to call Big Lou at Term Provider, 800-568-2790. Big Lou is intimately familiar with your problems. And if you're 50 or 60 years old and in reasonably good health, a $1 million policy should only cost about 100 to $200 per month. Big Lou may have a solution for your previous policies as well. You may even save enough money to lighten the load on your new $1 million policy. Remember, call Big Lou. He's like you, except he's only on number two. Call Term Provider at 800-568-2790. That's 800-568-2790. For a million dollars in term life insurance that you can live with, call Big Lou at 800-568-2790. Who's 
you are listening to Liberty Roundtable Live, hosted by Sam Bushman. I am uh, his guest this hour, Lowell Nelson, reporting. The Epic Times published an article on Saturday reporting that there are 22 states urging the Biden administration to repeal the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for health care workers, quote, in light of how vaccines provide little to no protection against infection and the growing awareness of side effects from the shots, end quote. Now, this is a good news, bad news story, really, you know, bittersweet, right? Because obviously it's bad news that COVID came along and the COVID-19 clot shots were, were, were invented. Um, but it's good news that the states have recognized that the clot shot provides little to no protection against infection. These are their words. And it's also good news that, they're, that they've recognized that there are significant adverse side effects from the shots, which I like to call the clot shots. Um, they even say outright in a November 17 uh, missive, you know, to the Biden administration that, that evidence, quote, demonstrates that full vaccination doesn't prevent infection or transmission, end quote. Well, so you've got the Attorney General of Montana, Austin Knudsen, uh, he highlighted one of the consequences of requiring healthcare workers to be vaccinated because some of them quit working, which meant there are fewer people in the healthcare industry to help people who actually needed healthcare. He said in a statement, quote, the mandate has limited many patients' access to needed medical care and imposed sub- substantial costs on patients and healthcare workers without any corresponding benefits. The Biden administration should have never imposed this mandate, and CMS should now throw it in the trash bin where it belongs. End of quote. Well, so the attorneys attorneys general of 22 states, uh, they're the ones asking the Biden administration to allow healthcare workers to live free and to work free, to go to work without having to get the clot shot that has killed or damaged so many thousands of people already, heart heart inflammation being the chief concern. So which states are making this request? Well, the attorneys general from the following states are making this request. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and Wyoming. Now, that's the good news. What's the bad news? Well, it's the bad news, folks, that the attorneys general are making this request because their request is evidence that they do not understand the foundation of the U.S. Constitution, which is that the general government, of which the Biden administration is just one part, has only the specific powers enumerated or listed in the U.S. Constitution and that the states or the people in the states retain all other power. So is the regulation of healthcare workers a power or an authority that the states granted to the general government? Well, no, obviously no. This authority is not enumerated, it's not listed, it's not specified in the U.S. Constitution. Therefore, the general government has no authority, zero, to have imposed such an edict. States should have ignored the mandate from its inception or from its imposition. Now, why don't these attorneys general understand the foundation of the U.S. Constitution? Well, because we, the people of this country, do not understand it. It's our fault, folks. 
we need to understand this principle and then talk about it with our colleagues and neighbors and especially talk about it with our attorneys general, our state legislators, our gubernatorial candidates, anyone who is running for public office should understand this. Now, Thomas Jefferson called the Tenth Amendment the foundation of the U.S. Constitution. Did you get that, folks? He called it the foundation. That's like the, the most important part of any structure is the foundation, right? The Tenth Amendment is the foundation of the U.S. Constitution. If you don't understand why he said that, then you need to study it deeply, more deeply, and study it until you do understand it. Well, let's uh, say it, it simply like this. We delegate yeah. certain authority to the general government. We divide that authority into three branches and give them their marching orders via the Constitution, the contract. And then we, through the Tenth Amendment, say anything that we did not give you authority by the contract, you don't have. Period. And so it's the two-sided coin. Here's your delegated authority. We're going to make a list for each branch. Then we're going to say to you, anything not in your list isn't there. You got it? Good. And so that's why the Tenth Amendment is the um, really the framework, okay, to understand TenthAmendmentCenter.com for more details. But the federal government's only authorized to exercise those powers delegated to it, Lowell. Absolutely right, Sam. Spot on. Now, the TenthAmendmentCenter.com, right there, has posted a very excellent summary of the Tenth Amendment. You got it from Sam, and uh, now this is what the Tenth Amendment Center says about it. The Tenth Amendment doesn't add anything to the Constitution, nor does it take anything away, but it serves a very important function. It tells us how to interpret the document. Think of it like a lens through which we evaluate everything the federal government does. The Tenth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment makes explicit two fundamental con constitutional principles that are implicit in the document itself. Number one, the federal government is only authorized to exercise those powers delegated to it. Exactly what Sam said. Number two, the people of the several states retain the authority to exercise any power that is not delegated to the federal government as long as the Constitution doesn't expressly prohibit it. So in a nutshell, the federal government has a very limited number of things it's authorized to do. These powers are listed throughout the Constitution. Most power and authority remains with the states, either with the state governments or with the people themselves, as they determine in each state. And the state now, so, constitution is the contract on the state level where, the, again, they delegate certain authority to the state. And the state government is only authorized to exercise those powers delegated to it through the state constitutions. And the people of the several states rate maintain or retain authority from not only the general government via the constitution, but the state as well. Okay, as long as the state constitution or the general constitution doesn't specially... Uh, prohibit it it's the people that have the ultimate authority and sovereignty in those regards and the only authority the state and or the government have is what we've delegated to them by the consent of the governed do they derive just authority otherwise they're act acting outside their scope and they have gone rogue lol and because they're the ones who have gone rogue you can think of them as having rebelled against the constitution they are the ones in rebellion against the Constitution. So it's our duty, our job as citizens to put down the rebellion. 
How do we do that? Well, we nullify un unconstitutional acts and edicts and statutes and opinions of that general government. And by doing, by nullifying them, we will uh, then, then put them in their place. Now, the, the founders, the framers, they expected us to do that. They expected us to do our job. And the, the general government is way beyond its original size and reach because we, the people, have allowed them to grow beyond their constitutional bounds. We haven't exercised the authority that we have as states and as localities like we ought. And so the constitutional powers that the states have and that the feds do not then becomes a very interesting topic of discussion. We, we, you know, we, we, uh, we often repeat James Madison, who in Federalist number 49, 45 wrote, quote, the powers delegated by the proposed constitution of the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite, end of quote. So we, we, we often talk about that. We quote James Madison, but we rarely discuss whether the framers talked about the numerous and indefinite powers of the state or of the people. Well, turns out that there were a number of individuals during the 1780s and 90s who did talk about those numerous and indefinite powers of the states. Tenge Cox being one of them. Um, he enumerated some of these these powers, and, and and so we ask ourselves, who in the world was Tench Cox? <laughs> Nobody today knows who that is. Well, Scott Bradley knows who he is, of course, because I've heard Scott Bradley quote Tench uh, in past on past shows, Sam. But but not very many people know about Tench Cox. Well, he was a Philadelphia businessman who served in the Confederate Congress, and in subsequent years was to become the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. But you know what? His essays were among the most influential among the general public. Hey, skip um, the it, break, will you please? Continue, Lowell. Yeah, and, it, and if not the most influential of all of the pro-constitutional writers, uh, he was probably second most <laughs> or third most influential. Obviously, Hamilton, Madison, Jay, who wrote The Federalist, seemed to be more prominent. But The Federalist papers were written for a New York audience by the way, and were not widely distributed. If they had any impact at all, it was on the delegates to the New York Ratifying Convention. Tench Cox writings, however, seemed to be distributed far more widely than the Federalist Papers, and they were written primarily uh, for the, the, the people of, of all of the states, of all the ratifying conventions. So if you were a ratifier at a state convention, Considering the U.S. Constitution, you probably read Tench Cox, what he wrote. And so I think it's important to highlight some of his observations, some of what he wrote down for the ratifiers at these conventions. He, he said, he said for, for instance, this, this, this quote right here, kind of long, but just bear with me. Quote, the several states can create corporations, civil and religious, establish seminaries of learning, erect boroughs, cities, and counties, promote and establish manufacturers, open roads, clear rivers, cut canals, regulate uh, inheritance and marriages, license taverns, alter the criminal law, constitute new courts and offices, 
establish ferries, erect public buildings, sell, lease, and appropriate the proceeds and rents of their lands and of every other species of state property, establish poor houses, hospitals, and houses of employment, regulate the police, and many other things of the utmost importance to the happiness of their respective citizens. In short, besides the particulars enumerated, everything of a domestic nature must or can be done by them. End of quote. Whoo-wee. Now, that's a long paragraph, but let me pick out a couple words in this paragraph which are important. The phrase, established poor houses, hospitals, and houses of employment, stands out. I put hospitals in all capitals. The states may establish hospitals. <laughs> Very interesting. That was a power they explicitly recognized as belonging to states or to local authorities, not the general government. So when people say, well, the general government, they, they have power to regulate health care. They can, they can determine, you know, what doctors can and cannot do. That's a bunch of hooey. Only states have that authority. The federal government does not have that authority. Why. Let me explain why they wanted the states to have that authority, because in that creates competition. you got 50 states now. When they started, it was, what, 13 colonies or whatever, 13 states. But the whole idea was to create competition. And through the free market, they knew that it would rein in tyrannical behavior, rein in um, malpractice, rein in all these things that are, that are um, you know, negatives. Uh, and so people would be able to travel. If I felt like my state was horrible, I could go to Texas and get my health care taken care of and done uh, in a responsible way. And it, the whole idea was to use the free market for competition, to reduce pricing, to make sure pricing was honest, and to make sure that malpractice and all kinds of other ills would be weeded out of the system. I and mean, if it got to where, hey, if you go to get health care in Utah, it's really bad. you got to go, okay, this was designed for these purposes. That's why it's not a general government discussion. It's a state discussion. And the whole goal was to foster this competition to create accountability within the system organically. Lowell? And that's why I'm such a fan of federalism, because federalism allows each state to be a d different from another state. They have the freedom to, to, to you know, be what they want to be. Massachusetts, they can have it. Yeah, do you want to go to a murdering state where they literally bring in little girls <laughs> for, to murder their babies? Or do you want to be in a state that says, oh, no, we don't do that. We protect little girls in our state. That's See? right. That's kind of what we're talking about in, a, in an extreme example. Well, yeah, and if you want, uh, you know, a uh, uh, Mitney Rom Romney care in Massachusetts, then you can move to Massachusetts, and you can be a part of that. If you want to be uh, out here in the West where... You know, you, you don't, you're not encumbered that way, and you, you depend on yourself for your own health care, you know, living off the land or, you know, using herbs or alternative remedies, for example, then you have the option to do that here in one of the western states. Um, and that's why federalism is so helpful, so important to our overall freedom. You can vote with your feet. You can move to any state you want to. You can live the life you want to live just by choosing the state whose uh, political ideology most closely aligns with yours. So it makes a lot of sense. But the top-down, one-size-fits-all programs that the general government wants to impose on everybody, every single state, that's what's causing the dissension and the contention in our country, Sam. I'm convinced of it that, you know, you get one-size-fits-all programs and, they're, and once they're imposed, like the vaccine mandate on all health care workers in all 50 states, 
that imposes contention. That 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 just invites contention because you know you don't want to. You know, if you live in Massachusetts, yeah, maybe you want that in position. But if you live in Utah, you maybe you don't. Well, we need the liberty to decide what each state is going to be. Every state should have the liberty to decide what kind of political ideology they're going to embrace in their state, and then they and then and then live by it, and let other states do what they want to do. I don't care if you're in Massachusetts. I don't care what you do. It's okay. You do what you want to do. Just let me do in my state what I want to do. That's what I care about, Sam. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This is critical to understand because you begin to understand the proper role of limited government when we go through this kind of exercise. Uh, You understand there's a state constitution, there's a general constitution, uh, and you got to understand that we, the people, have an obligation. We have a responsibility to be involved. Uh, And the federal government is only authorized to exercise those powers delegated to it. I mentioned that. But that's the same reality for the states. We, the people, retain all other authorities. And we must use the checks and balances against those who would destroy liberty, those who would take power unrighteously under themselves. They're rogue agents, folks. And you got to understand that. The states have certain powers the feds don't, or the general government doesn't. The general government has authority that the states don't. But you know what, folks? we got to be very, very clear about this, okay? We can't have people interfering outside of their roles. See, the problem is the Nullify Now doctrine uh, has been lost for the most part. It's been brought back in recent years by wise patriots. It's a legitimate solution. Nullify Now is what we ought to do. Oftentimes going to the courts like these 22 states want to do uh, isn't the wise course. They act like they have to have permission from some greater magistrate which isn't true. See, the muscles of state sovereignty, ladies and gentlemen, are weak. Why? Because they have not exercised their authority. So their power is weak. Okay? Do they have the authority? Yes, they do. But do they have the mojo, the power? No. And let's talk about why, because they haven't exercised their muscles, their authorities. It'll remain weak unless they exercise those muscles and start to push back consistently, Lowell. And the reason they haven't pushed back consistently and the reason they've lost those muscles is because we've got on the federal dole. Exactly right. It is the money after all. And if we begin to exercise our authority, if we start exercising those muscles, well, then the feds threaten to withhold the money from us. The money that we gave to them, they threaten to withhold from us. Well, there needs to be a state with the courage to say, we're not giving you our money until you do, you know, until you begin to exercise only the authority that we gave to you, right? That's what states need to stand up and do. And, and look, we're going to collect the money and we're going to keep it here. We will give it to you if you, you know, stay within the bounds of constitution. I just, I just am waiting for a state with the courage to stand up and do that. But even before that, Sam, uh, why isn't Attorney General Sean Reyes of Utah, why, why is he, you know, joining himself to this, this lawsuit and, 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 and pleading like a slave for the general government to, to um, uh, lift this mandate, right? I mean, I, I would like to see an attorney general stand up on his own two feet and just simply tell 
the federal government. We ain't doing that in our state because you don't have the authority to impose such a mandate. And, and, and you can go by. look at the greatest Tenth Amendment decision ever rendered in the Mac versus Bill Clinton case, if you will, mm-hmm. to know the truth on this reality. And so an attorney general could do that. But here's the reason they don't. What they want to do is look like they're fighting the federal government, but never take action that creates real change. They yeah. want to look good. They want to appear as if they're fighting back. But land rights have been the quintessential point on this forever. The general government has no authority just to mandate they control all these lands. The equal footing clause of states entering the union, we could go on and on and on about it. But the, the, the list of reasons the general government can own land or have land or control land in the first place, there's all kinds of evidence on our side. But again, the states just always grovel before the government over land. Same thing's true here. They want to appear as if they're fighting and taking action, but they really don't want to take responsibility for um, solutions. Uh, that's Wait, my opinion. Yeah, and which brings us back to a statement that, uh, that I made earlier, Sam. It's our fault because we, the people, have not understood this principle, this nullify now doctrine. We, the people, have not pushed our public servants to nullify now. We have not asked the candidate for public office about the nullify now doctrine. We have not done our job, folks, and therefore the public servants that we've elected are not doing theirs. So it's up to us, folks, to change that. We've got to change it. We have to be asking these questions of our public servants and of our candidates for everything from governor down to dog catcher. We need to understand that we retain the authority not delegated to the general government, and we need to exercise that authority to build the power, to build our muscles so that we can properly stand and interpose between the general government and the citizens of our of our state. That's now, now, there is one example that, that came to light, Sam, just a couple, the last week or so. Texas Governor Abbott, um, now I don't know if he's grandstanding or if he's actually sincere, but his actions uh, are, are laudable. So let's, let's give him credit where credit is due. He put up a double high row of shipping containers, shipping containers at his border where there was no wall. He said he's tired of waiting for the general government to stop illegals from streaming into his state. Well, he shouldn't have waited for the feds to do anything in the first place. And so building a wall to repel the invasion is perfectly within his authority. Sam? Well, and it's sad in my mind that he would even be at odds with the general government. They're shirking their constitutional responsibility uh, for the border. See, things that the states rely on together... Uh, the general government was supposed to uh, care for those things in an effort to have a united front. Uh, and this is where they're derelict in their duty at the general level. And I agree that uh, Abbott has every authority to protect his people. When he swears an oath, to, uh, swears his oath to the office that he took, he says he'll protect us from enemies foreign and domestic. So he has every right to do this. Uh, but again, we've got a dereliction of duty at the general level. They should be like-minded in their efforts to carry out this defense of the people and protection of our nation. There's another thing that Tim Cox wrote. Um, well, he wrote a ton of stuff. But another point I wanted to highlight, Sam, <clears throat> he said that they, meaning the federal government, general government, cannot enact laws for the inspection of the produce of the country. <laughs> well, think of what the uh, the Department of Agriculture does, right? <laughs> They're prohibiting yeah, the sale of raw not milk. farm and so on and so on. <laughs> They're throwing Amish farmers off their property and destroying their produce 
uh, of the, you know, their, their milk and cheese products. And, 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 and there's, it's really rare when a sheriff will stand up for the Amish people of his state, the ones in Pennsylvania come to mind. And, and yet, since Cox wrote, this was the understanding of the framers, those who ratified the Constitution, that the general government would not interfere, would not enact laws for the inspection of the produce of the country. And just one last one, Sam. Um, they, they, meaning the general government, cannot interfere with, alter, or amend the Constitution of any state. End of quote. <clears throat> well, of course, this is precisely what Federal Judge Robert Shelby did in December of 2013 when he issued his opinion that the definition of marriage that Utahns had placed in their Constitution was unconstitutional. <laughs> it just boggles my mind that he would write that opinion and that we would roll over and acquiesce. Attorney to a single General... tyrant, Law. Yeah, single tyrant. To a robed thug, single tyrant did we cave. And now we're about to add insult to injury with the, quote, in my opinion, uh, disrespect marriage act, right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, Sam. Well, my hope, Sam, though, is that our listeners now know the name of Tench Cox, uh, C-O-X-E. That's how you spell his last name. And I know they've heard his name before with Scott Bradley on your show. And I just hope that, that we will have a newfound respect for Tench Cox. We'll know who he is. We'll, we'll look at what he writes. And that we'll begin to follow them more assiduously as a country. Sam? you got to apply the principles and you got to get involved, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why we always teach on this broadcast that we, the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, we can and will restore our grand old republic. We didn't lose liberty huge chunks at a time. It was slice by slice, little by little, and we're not going to get it back without efforts, little by little. Patience and dedication, clear understanding of the principles, and pure application of those principles are the keys. For Dr. Scott Bradley, for Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, and myself, Sam Bushman, LibertyRoundtable.com and LovingLiberty.net, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.